Who's your idol? What is idolatry and why is it such an abomination to the Lord our God? Abomination meaning detestable, the highest level of disgust one can have towards an act, a behaviour or heart's intent. In this episode of the Wisdom Within Scripture series, we are continuing with going through the things that our beloved God hates. Not only because we should not be doing that, which he hates, I would like to hope that's evident, but because we live in times where the average lifestyle and the world itself promotes doing all that which God hates, which goes against him, his character, and the nature of his creation. You see, it's the ultimate rebellion against our maker to do the very things that are counter-natural and against what we were literally made for. It's an abomination, as he calls, a matter to be taken seriously, not lightly, as serious as you would take a court case when being charged with a life sentence for a terrible crime. Every transgression against God is a crime and it is him that you're betraying. So for those who are new or didn't yet listen to the first episode I did in relation to what God hates, listen to episode 12 on pride, where I cover it extensively with examples on why it's so destructive and offensive to God. And hence the whole point, being aware of it, understanding the fruits thereof and avoiding them, abstaining from wickedness. Such teachings are only for those who actually seek to know God's character in truth and to worship him with all their mind, heart and soul. It is not for people who think this is just a matter of opinions and passing thoughts. All my teachings within this series here on wisdom within scripture is based on scripture. The majority of it is me quoting directly from scripture. It's not me giving my opinions It is God's word itself and learning from him directly what he loves, what he hates, the history of creation, who we are, the purpose of life, the responsibilities of life, why we die and the things still to come for us all and many more things. These are all the things in relation to practical wisdom for life that I have been putting together in my labour of love to make these episodes. Thus, this will only assist in edifying and teaching you if you are seeking to know and please God in spirit and in truth, not to please yourself or your own desires. I'm not interested in that. I'm also not interested in followers or likes or comments or hearing opinions. Actually, on the contrary, I literally despise is the word I would use any intentions of those who come listening to my work for any other reason other than to learn and grow in your faith and your walk with God I don't do this for myself I do this to glorify my heavenly father Yahweh for it's him and to him that belongs all the glory So today I'm covering idolatry as one of the things that God hates. Remember, this is a whole series and in all these episodes I delve into various things and I cannot, of course, cover everything in one episode. It would be impossible. Even as John writes in scripture, 
uh, all the books in the world couldn't contain all of the wisdom from God. So even in that case, like we cannot just, it's impossible to cover everything. But that's why I cover specific topics. So it's indeed another serious and rampant transgression against God. Idolatry. Since we have existed, by the way. This has happened since, you know, day one with Adam and Eve. So much so, it's written and embedded in the first two commandments God gave Moses, which we will break down within this episode. But for those of you that don't know it, the first one is, I am your God, you shall have no other gods before me, meaning he is the only true living God, you shouldn't have any other gods because there isn't any. Hence, that means you are in idolatry if you do. And secondly, you should not bow down to or make any graven images. Okay, and that's the two that we're talking about that are linked to idolatry. So we're going to break those down. Just like in all the others, I will also go through examples within the Bible of historical accounts. Because remember, these aren't stories and fables. They're historical accounts where people committed idolatry and how God responded. Now, I'm not going to go through all of them because unfortunately, unfortunately, there are so many. It is so rampant. However, I'm going to use a few different ones because, again, it helps with the learning. It helps embed it into your brain to understand this is not good. This is wicked. This is something I should avoid when you see it come up in your life in future or right now. And we'll see how God responded. From this, we're going to learn what not to do as well as what God is well pleased with. Idolatry is spiritual adultery. Okay, again, those two words sound very similar in in my view for a reason, idolatry and adultery. Every adult human being knows intrinsically at heart when you are in a committed union of marriage between man and woman, if one of you goes astray, it is a betrayal. You know this intrinsically without anyone telling you it's a betrayal. You know it. The transgression is clear as plain English. So it is with betraying God. It's the same. It is the same. People, you see, treat God as if he is not a personal being that deserves respect and everything, as if he has no emotions, he has no... You are made in his image. So do you think God has no emotions himself? You think he has no personality? He's just a thing? He's an it? It it doesn't even make logical sense. It's the same with betraying God. By worshipping false idols, okay, and loving them above him, or outright ignoring him, pretending he doesn't exist and completely idolizing your idol. I will begin with an insightful scripture that stood out for me on this topic, which is about uh, when a potter is molding clay. You know, like how a potter like shapes clay. You see them like sometimes you can see like those videos where they're molding the clay as they're spinning it and then they're molding it with their hands. God is often referencing us as as the clay and he being the potter, which actually makes a lot of sense because we're made from the dirt. He breathed his life into us from the dirt. Isaiah chapter 29 verse 15. Woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord and their works are in the dark. And they say, who sees us and who knows us? Surely your turning of things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay. For shall the work, the clay, say of him that made it, the potter, he made me not. Or shall the thing framed say of him that framed it, he has no understanding, end quote. 
So here, do you see how it's like, it sounds ridiculous, right? It's a great analogy that a piece of pottery says to the potter, like, what are you doing? Like, what is this? How, what are you making, right? It doesn't make any sense. That's what he's saying, how humanity behaves towards him. And then in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 9 to 10. Woe unto him that strives with his maker. Let the potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him that fashioned it, what are you making? Or thy work, he has no hands. Woe unto him that says unto his father, what begettest thou? Or to the woman, what hast thou brought forth? End quote. So this is saying like what you're saying to your parents, like, what is, what are you making? Like, what have you created? Is in about themselves, right? And this, this is people who question their maker as if they know better or can do better. Like, do you see, I love this analogy because it is that stupid. It is that ignorant and childish as a, a piece of pottery, a cup or a plate to say to the maker, what are you making? Like, what, what am I? Like, what is this? What have you made? Like, this is stupid, right? The one who made all that is and ever was, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, he that brought forth life to man by imparting his breath into us, molding us out of clay, the dirt of the earth. That's why we have physical bodies that perish, right? We are made in his specific way. He made us after our kind, like he made all the animals after their kind and all the trees and the plants after their kind. There is a specific order. We even see this, unfortunately, today with children that are literally attempting to sue their parents. Yes, you heard me right. For claiming they didn't ask to be born. Therefore, their parents are responsible for them having a so-called terrible life, right? Well, I didn't ask to be born, so you know what? It's your fault and I'm going to now make your life a terrible, a terrible existence because I didn't ask to be born. It's just, it's the same thing humanity does with God. They want to abstain from any and all personal responsibility that comes with being human. Again, even just the words personal responsibility People cannot stand this. They love to be victims. Free will and the mysteries of our minds denotes that we have moral agency. We have choice and a clear purpose in deciding or denying to accept or deny truth. Sorry, a clear purpose in deciding to deny or accept truth. That's throughout life. And depending on where you are in your life, how far you are in a delusion or in the actual path towards truth, that's going to be dependent on all of your life choices up to now through your own moral agency. Have you listened to your conscience or not? So when it comes to how people end up following and worshipping false idols, there are countless ways. Like, and yes, they're everywhere. It is a part of society to be an idol worshipper of some sort. So it's not just something that happened with statues like thousands of years ago. That's usually what people, because they read, they hear it's like the old English or they think, oh, well, no one does that today. Yes, yes, you do. Like the whole world still does this. It's a very prevalent thing as we are in the end times. And based on the evidences of times and seasons and prophecies in the word of God, we are clearly the end times generation. 
Now, that does not mean that something's going to happen like the tribulation starts tomorrow. It may not start whilst we are still alive. However, we are definitely in the end times, as in there's the birthing pains leading into the end times and then tribulation comes at the point it comes when God decides. But the end times is a whole generation and a season in itself and we are there. We're experiencing the birthing pains, but we've seen nothing yet. Okay, so there's even people that think we are in the tribulation. No, scripture says it's a time that has like never been before on earth and never will be again. So horrific will the tribulation be. So horrific. Worse than any of the the horror sci-fi movies you watch and you all love so much to watch those horrific things. It will be a thousand times worse than that, except it's in your reality and you cannot just make it go away by switching it off. Okay, we are not in the tribulation yet. It will be very obvious. It's not just, you know, you don't have food to eat for a day or so. It is going to be absolute chaos. We've seen nothing yet. Whether we'll be alive to see it, obviously I cannot say that. I focus on that which matters. Being ready and on watch, as scripture tells us to be. So that regardless of whether it is and ends up being tomorrow or in 10 years or in 100 years, you were always ready. At least that's how I prepare myself. And therefore, that's why I also put out these episodes in the, in the, the, the help that it, others may do the same. It would be wise to do so. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 28 to 32, God says, Observe and hear all these words which I command thee, that it may go well with thee and your children after you forever and ever. When thou dost that which is good and right in the sight of the Lord thy God. When the Lord thy God shall cut off all the nations from before thee, whither thou goest to possess it, and thou succeeds them, and dwells in their land. Take heed to thyself that thou be not snared by following them. After that they be destroyed from before thee, that thou inquire not after their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? Even so will I do likewise. Thou shalt not do so unto the Lord thy God. For every abomination to the Lord which he hates have they done unto their gods. For even their sons and their daughters have they burnt in the fire to their gods. Whatsoever thing I command you, observe to do it. Thou shalt not add thereto nor diminish from it. End quote. There's nothing to be decoded there. You see, you don't need a scholarly degree in biblical studies to understand what God is saying in plain English. He's very clear. He, he says these things over and over again. This is why I know that pe when people have or haven't read the scripture, it's literally just have you read scriptures or not? He's clear on what he hates. And some of you might already be shocked and switched off because you've been told by your gurus rather than reading the word yourself that God is a reckless love God and he's a fluffy bear that just wants to love everybody and that it's this impossible for God to hate nonsense. Read the scriptures yourself and learn the truth. There is power in the word of God as it is the sword of the spirit. Episode 10 talks about that in detail. The truth is earnest and it should make you sweat because God is not a teddy bear toy writing you a reckless love song about perversion. He is a just and righteous God who will return to judge all the earth. 
dead and alive, and justice will be served. This is your everlasting soul we are talking about. So a little discomfort in how it feels to hear hard truths is the least you can bear in saving your soul from hellfire. I am an honest and to the point person. If you prefer sweet lies, turn on your TV shows and your Teletubbies and lullaby yourself to sleep. I will not water down the word of God. He will not be mocked. We see God specifically told his people to not follow after what other nations did and to learn from them in serving these false idols. Not only because it removes God as number one in your heart, which it does, but also because of the abominable things they do to appease and sacrifice to these gods. Okay, I want you to imagine for a moment, someone takes your newborn child from you, that you have spent the last nine months growing and developing and nurturing inside you. You almost died in labor to bring forth and now you hold this child in your hands as a new creation of life, the ultimate gift from God to humanity in terms of our life experience. And as a stranger comes to you, takes the baby from your hands, chops its arms off and throws it into a roaring fire in front of a statue of an idol. They do this to receive wealth and special magical powers from their idol. This is how sick and disgusting and twisted, and yes, it still happens today. I would think the anger and betrayal and despair you would feel is indescribable. Now imagine, if you can, for a moment, what God the creator of all life, must feel when humans take his children, because you must remember everyone that is born is God's child. He brings life forth, which is all life, and sacrifices them to idols. Do you understand the level of despicable that is? There is a scripture that stood out for me with regards to this, where men, and by men I'm speaking of mankind, all of humanity. So every time I say men, unless I otherwise state, that's what I'm talking about, all of humanity. Men meaning mankind. When men take that which belongs to God and gift it to their whoredoms, again, as God often relates to spiritual betrayal, idolatry, as whoredom, harlotry, as just like you would cheat on a husband or wife. It is very clear, plain English. It's a great analogy to use. Ezekiel explains it very well. And I think it's an important one to cover, considering that the murder of innocent children in various shapes and forms has become a sport-like endeavour in its behaviour these days. It's truly abominable. Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 17 to 22. Thou hast also taken your fair jewels of my gold and my silver... Because remember, again, all of creation is God's. So whether you have gold, silver, money, possessions, beauty, whatever you have, it's not yours. It's God's. So you, he's saying, thou hast taken thy fair jewels of my gold and my silver, which I have given you, and made to thyself images of men, and didst commit whoredom with them. So imagine you take that which is the creation of God, and then you create an idol out of it. So an image of a man, right? And, and a physical statue. And took thy broidered garments and covers them. And thou hast set mine oil and mine incense before them. 
So even here saying, now you're making clothing and you're putting the clothing on them. You're taking my materials for, for, for you to make clothing, what I made for you to be able to clothe yourself, right? And now you're putting it on this idol and you're taking my incense and my oil and you're offering it to the idol. Verse 19, my meat also, which I gave thee, as in all forms of food, okay? Fine flour and oil and honey, wherewith I fed you. Thou hast even set it before them for a sweet savour. And thus it was, said the Lord God. Moreover, thou hast taken thy sons and thy daughters, whom thou hast borne unto me, and these hast thou sacrificed unto them to be devoured. Is this of thy whoredoms a small matter? That thou hast slain my children and delivered them to cause them to pass through the fire for them, for the idols. And in all thine abominations and thy whoredoms, thou hast not remembered the days of thy youth when thou was naked and bare and was polluted in thy blood. End quote. This is God speaking to Israel in times of judgment, one of the many times of their many whoredoms with neighboring countries which they basically chose to make constant treaties with, including Egypt, the country that literally enslaved them for hundreds of years, which God said not to do, serving then their idols and doing evil and wicked things, to which they forgot, obviously, that they were saved from poverty and slavery and death by God. So much so that they, they, they became so like prominent and like so well off, that in their riches and in their success and in their beauty, rather than being holy and modesty, they shared themselves perversely with anyone and everyone that would look. They were basically attention whores with no shame. That's what they did with God's blessing. And on top of that, when he says, like, you slayed my children, like you're literally committing murder to God's children. So every form of life that we create is only possible because of God. It's not some evolutionary random thing that happened where, oh, evolution means that human beings are the, created the way we're created and we just adapted as the most, in what? In some freak show universe where there's just lots of planets flying around and nothing means anything, but we have perfect order with the plants and the season and the skies and the sun and the moon and the, and the fact that every animal knows its place and the fact that humans have specific intelligence. Yeah, okay, okay, sure. But with that, you take them and you throw them and literally murder them in a fire to appease these gods, which is only, it comes from evil. Like, it's just, sometimes these things are really, um, just leave you speechless. People have a tendency. This is what they did with God's blessings. So they get blessed as today. Again, if we use a common in today's world, people get comfortable. The world breaks down. Look at the world. Like the world breaks down. The world is an absolute mess. It gets worse the more comfortable people get. You know, I think about this often. I think about this so often now. Like, and it's there's so much fulfillment and joy and peace in doing things the way God intended, this, people just never understand it unless you actually practice these things. So for example, one of the very first um, uh, covenants that God made with mankind was with Adam after the fall in that we need to sweat with our brow and till the ground for our food. That 
It still exists, by the way. Every time God makes a covenant, a new covenant, it doesn't make a previous one obsolete. They're just added. There is various covenants. He made a covenant with Adam, a covenant with Noah, a covenant with Moses. He made a covenant through Jesus with all of us personally and so on. Like it's not one replaced all the rest, right? We still need to till the ground for our food. That doesn't not exist. We still need food to survive. We cannot go a day without food and drink. And we require God's blessing, which is the very fact that when you put a seed in the ground and out of nowhere, it grows and does its thing. And then we suddenly have something to to eat of sustenance. That comes from God. You cannot scientifically design that. Oh, but don't worry, of course, the 3D printing food will come any day now. So then you don't need God's creation at all. But that's, you know, part of transhumanism. I won't get into that now. But the point is, we are supposed to work for our food and we're supposed to work with our hands earnestly. So this is why when somebody actually works a a genuine job, as in like what you do actually brings some kind of value, as in we're supposed to actually work for our food, as in like you're not supposed to just have things without ever doing anything for them. It's against God's order. So this whole world that thinks they can do this whole passive income or they get a universal basic income, you know, get paid by the government, socialism, communism, fascism, all the rest of it, and think that that's the way the world should, you will continue to be miserable if you think that is the answer. You do not understand that you're already depressed, miserable, apathetic, you hate your life. Guess what? You refusing to work with your own hands is against God's order and and it will continue to make you hate your life. Living off of the government or off of people that do actually pay taxes and contribute through work is not going to make you fulfilled and happy new generation out here who thinks that lifting a finger is for idiots and that everyone is a king and a queen and a prince and and a princess and a and a, a god and a goddess and that you shouldn't have to work you guys are so delusional at this point like I, I, it's the newer generations it's just becoming worse and worse and worse and again it's all going perfectly according to satan's plan because that's exactly the kind of generation that will just eat out of his hand when the beast system comes, which is coming any day now. So moving on, people have a tendency to worship that which they make with their own hands. God creates life and all that exists. Men and women, so humanity, can only make and build things in the capacity that we've been given by God. So we can't create the way God can We can create in the capacity that he gave us to create. So we are able to be fruitful and multiply, which was another commandment given by God. Be fruitful and multiply through our ability to create life the way God allows us to. It's not that a woman can be impregnated and all of a sudden she gives birth to a tree, does she? No, it's always going to be after your kind and it's going to be in the way that God has designed it, the amount of time it takes, the the the, the fact that it, you need a woman and a man, and so on and so forth, right? All that comes from God is based in order. That's why we can see that order reflects and is reflected in nature, whether it be the seasons, the sun, the moon, the stars, or the animals, and the way they all know exactly how to be whatever they are. A lion knows how to be a lion, a duck knows how to be a duck, and so on. They also reproduce only according to their kind. You cannot mix animals nor plants. God commanded in Genesis that all be fruitful and multiply after its own kind. This is order, okay? Chaos 
and DNA manipulation is from the wicked ones and the fallen angels, which mixed with human women and made hybrid weird beings, which are not after their own kind. I will briefly mention this as it's a massive topic, but nonetheless important. An angel is a spirit. It is not made for reproduction, okay, nor marriage the way a man and a woman are. That is very, the, the marriage covenant, man and woman coming together in holy matrimony and having that intimacy is a gift from God for humanity. It is very specific to our lives as humans. The fallen angels, they're called fallen angels because they're now demons. They're not, they're not, they don't have the same dominion. They don't have the same authority they used to have, okay? The fallen angels, knowing this, chose anyway to commit evil. Like they actually conspired to do this evil. They appeared as men to human women and took unto them as wives. Meaning that, you know, these women were very willingly with them, but it would seem that they thought that these were men and not angels, okay? Thus having intimate relations with human women. Yet their DNA is an angel spirit DNA, okay? So hence when these women bore these children, they bore giants. And these giants were destructive monsters on the earth at that time. Again, I mention this here to point out that God does not give commandments for naught. He is the wisest being that exists. He knows what good is and he knows what right is. Therefore, DNA mixing is a very, very serious transgression and abomination to the Lord. It's unforgivable, which is why those fallen angels are reserved in chains till judgment and everlasting hellfire. For now, whilst I could go into way more detail on that, let us move on to how people end up sometimes seemingly unknowingly worshipping the work of their own hands. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6 to 20. Thus said the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and besides me there is no God. And who, as I, shall call and shall declare it and set it in order for me, since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come, let them show them unto, unto them. Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told you from that time and have declared it? You are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yes, there is no God. I know not any. They that make a graven image are all of them vanity, and their delectable things shall not profit, and they are their own witnesses. They see not, they know not, nor that they may be ashamed. Who hath formed a god or a molten or graven image that is a profitable for nothing? Behold, all his fellows shall be ashamed, and the workmen, they are of men. Let them all be gathered together, let them stand up, yet they shall fear and they shall be ashamed together. They smith with the tongs both workers in the coals and fashioned it with hammers and work it with the strength of their arms. Yes, he is hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches out his rule. He makes it out with a liner. 
he fitteth it with planes, and he makes it out with the compass, and he makes it after the figure of a man, according to the beauty of a man, that it may remain in the house. He hews him down some cedars, wood, and takes the cypress and the oak, which he strengthens for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants an ash, and the rain does nourish it, the rain that comes from God. Then shall it be for a man to burn, and he will take thereof and warm himself. Yes, he'll kindle it, he'll bake bread. He makes himself a god and worships it. He makes it a graven image and falls down thereto. He burns part of it in the fire. With part of it he eats flesh, he eats food. He roasts the roast and it is satisfied. Yes, he warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm, I have seen the fire. And the residue thereof he makes himself a god, even his graven image. He falls down unto it, he worships it, and prays to it, and says, Deliver me, for thou art my god. They have not known nor understood, for he hath shut their eyes, they cannot see, and their hearts that they cannot understand. And none considereth in his heart, neither is their knowledge nor understanding to say, I have burnt part of it in the fire. Yeah, I've also baked bread on the coals thereof. I have roasted food and eaten it. And shall I make the residue thereof an abomination? Shall I fall down to the stock of a tree? He feeds on ashes. A deceived heart hath turned him aside, that he cannot deliver his soul, nor say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? End quote. I really like this scripture because it's pointing out how people don't even realize what they're doing. Like he's, he's using the, the concept of like taking some wood, right? And then using it to light a fire. And how does that fire help you live? Again, these are all gifts from God. So the fire, the wood, by the way, everything with wood is literally made that we are able to build with it. Like wood is made for building to, to create our shelters and all the rest of it. Human beings are not just at home in the world like animals are. We require shoes, shelter, and so on. Have you tried walking barefoot? Go ahead, go and walk out barefoot in the street. See how long you can last. You can clearly see we require these things. Like, it's different. Humanity requires these things. And so he's given us all of those resources, but he's showing you how subtly somebody will take that resource, which again, God created in order for us to be able to sustain and live our life. And you build with it, he builds something with it, and then he puts some of it in fire to warm himself, and he uses that fire to cook, right? And to, and to nourish himself with the food from the earth as well. And then with the residue of it, he makes himself a God and bows down to it. <laughs> from the very sustenance that actually was made by the very God that you're denying. So that's why he's saying, should you use the residue of it for an abomination? Like, it's a very strong and powerful message. I hope that some of you actually, it's penetrating you. And in Isaiah 45, from 18 to 25, For thus said the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he has established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. I'll just say here where he says he created the earth to be inhabited, as in we are supposed to be fruitful and multiply. So there's an entire thing here, thing about the world is overpopulated and so on and so forth. And humanity is a plague on this planet and climate and all the rest of that. Literally, humanity is not destroying the planet. God made the planet to be inhabited 
humanity is the highest of uh, dominion on this planet. And we are not overpopulated. In fact, if anything, we are, we are becoming extinct with the amount of people that are having less and less and less children. But I'll just throw that out there for those, some of those that are bombarded and unfortunately genuinely believing and brainwashed that there is such a thing that we are overpopulated and that the, the, the humanity is a plague on the earth, that the earth was made to be inhabited by us. So why are people behaving as if everything that we do is, is, harming, the, is harming the earth? Everything that we do, you don't leave your house, okay? Just don't leave your house. Don't do anything because with that, you are destroying the planet. It, is, it has become an absolute psychosis. Carrying on from verse 19. I have not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth. I said not unto the seed of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. Assemble yourselves and come, draw near together, ye that are escaped of the nations. They have no knowledge that set up the wood of their graven image and pray unto a God that cannot save. Tell ye and bring them near. Yes, tell them, take counsel together. Who has declared this from ancient time? Who has told it from that time? Have not I, the Lord, Yahweh, and there is no God else beside me, a just God, and a saviour. There is none beside me. Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. I have sworn by myself, the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness, and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall shall swear. Surely shall one say, in the Lord have I righteousness and strength. Even to him shall men come, and all that are incensed against him shall be shamed. In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. End quote. This is such a, this is a constant reiteration. He's, he's being so plain that people understand. Do you see just how it's so bizarre how people behave with God in that as if like what he says just is just like he's just saying it like for fun or something. He's being so black and white clear. There's no th- nothing to decode there. Again, do you need a degree in biblical studies to understand everything I just read? No, in black and white, he's saying, I am God. There is none else. When he says there's none beside me, again, this is old English because I use the King James version of the Bible. But he means there's none else. None beside me means there is no other. That's what that means, old English. So it's literally there's no other God. Anyone else you're praying to, you're praying in vain. As in there's no one listening. Like he says, like you make a statue, you might decorate it, you might put earrings on it, you might put clothing on it, you might make it look as real as possible, but it can't breathe, it can't speak, it can't hear, it can't even move without you moving it. Okay, so he's saying like it is so in vain and he's he's clarifying, he's pleading with the people like understand that in the Lord, in me, you will be justified and shall glory. And only the people have truly chosen God because you're not automatically a child of God. You have to actually choose him and have a relationship with him. But people who are, you know, 
You know his blessing. You know that he his salvation is true. You know that his word is true because he is faithful and true. He does not lie. Okay. We also see in Isaiah chapter 46, verse 3 to 9. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, which are born by me from the belly, which are carried from the womb. And even to your old age, I am he. And even to your grey hairs will I carry you. I have made and I will bear, even I will carry and will deliver you. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? They lavish gold out of the bag and weigh silver in the balance and hire a goldsmith and he makes it a god and they fall down, yes, they worship. They bear him up on the shoulder. They carry him and set him in his place and he stands. From him place, from his place, shall he not be removed? Yes, one shall cry unto him, yet he cannot answer nor save him out of his trouble. Remember this and show yourselves, men. Bring it again to mind, O ye transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. End quote. Today's idols are many. You can tell when something or someone is an idol in your life when you run to their defense as if you would give your life for them. This is actually very common and easy to see among idols such as politicians, celebrity singers, actors, sports teams, even fairy tale characters straight out of so-called fiction books and movies. Yeah, the quote fans will become restless, angry and demanding that their idol be presented in whichever way they see fit by the quote author or the director. We are talking about a fake television or like a comic character here. People will literally line up outside for hours, give all their money, time and attention to false idols of today. Yet they can't give five minutes of time to the God who gave them life, claiming that a God who commands you to love him has no right to. Yet here you are, so easily giving all your life to a fake cartoon character. Where is the rationale? At least be intellectually honest. I get offended myself when I hear people offend God who clearly know nothing about him and in the same breath they are devoted to their God of pornography and entertainment and video games and celebrity merchandise, the mirror of selfie worship, the political saviors and on and on it goes. So if you can be defensive and upset about an idol of yours being questioned, I certainly can and will be upset about God, the truth, the way, the light of the world, being not only questioned of his existence, but being mocked, ridiculed and outright abused. At least be intellectually honest enough to admit you have an idol. The bad news is that all idolatry is rooted in evil and spiritual wickedness, so there is a demonic nature to it. And as we enter further into these end times, the mixing of iron and clay is becoming more apparent. The mixing of iron and clay is the kingdom that is talked about in the book of Daniel chapter 7. Okay, it's a very important chapter. I suggest that you read it and pray on it. There's much prophecy still in it to happen. It talks a lot about kingdoms that have been and gone and kingdoms still to come. 
but the mixing of iron and clay is becoming more apparent. Why? This is man merging with machine. Man is the clay, iron is the machine. Transhumanism. The changing, once again, of DNA, like history repeating itself, like in the times of Noah. God's signature in our very makeup, being tampered with to no return, I will sternly warn anyone who considers playing with modifying their God-given body for transhuman purposes. Chopping and slicing themselves up like a toy, playing God, scripture teaches us that the consequences of this are not only dire, but in some cases, irredeemable. Do not be that person. The AI craze, the artificial intelligence craze, will continue until the majority of humanity accepts transhumanism as the norm. And before you know it, it's legal and lawful, as in by man-made law, for people to marry robots and dolls and have surgeries to implant chips and make clone babies without a mother or a womb and mix kind with kind. Man with machine, man with fallen angel, giant, Nephilim, man with beast, animal, adult with infant, and so on. You think that's a stretch? Look around. It's happening right now as part of the new order. The beast system is being prepared and will be ushered in. And we are to be prepared in spirit and in truth. To not be deceived nor take the mark lest we lose our souls. Movies which are made and run by the dark occult, by the way, will tell you some of the truth. But it's in Satan's version. This is what you must remember with movies and Hollywood and entertainment. There's a reason it's a trillion dollar industry seemingly designed just to, quote, entertain you. No such thing. It is all mental programming to deceive you into choosing evil is to make you desensitized to the evils of the world. And it works, guys. Look at the world today. People are abominable. They are literally bloodthirsty murderers. And people think that's entertaining. Where do you think that comes from? They program you in the movies. Believing that God isn't real. Or that if he is real, he's the one that you should be fighting, right? Along with the Avengers. It's the Avengers fighting against that horrible creator God. Movies like iRobot, Surrogates, Independence Day, Elysium, Thor, X-Men, and series like Futurama, which are desensitizing people to the times when fallen angels will live among men and coexist, quote, they love that word, in a disgusting dystopian world. Yes, all of that may sound far-fetched, but you think any of this is just entertainment? Where you do think they get they where where like where do you think they get these ideas from? It's not to mention when you know the scriptures, you can see what they are doing in these movies. They're preparing for the battle in Revelation chapter twenty, of which there is no battle at all because God eliminates them instantly. Let me just tell you that right now. So if you plan on being team on Team Avengers and Team X Men, you are fooling yourself and you are destroying your own soul and salvation you must choose and seek god and repent now i mentioned the movies for examples but i do not recommend nor advise you watching any of them please hear me all entertainment in hollywood is demonically influenced and it carries dark influence with it 
So when you watch it, you can't just be like, oh, I'm just watching it for research purposes. No, when you watch those things, you are opening a door to evil. You're giving them permission and they will mess with you. Watch my seminars on entertainment and uh, guarding the gates of your mind instead to protect your mind and keep yourself sober minded, which is, uh, by the way, another gift from God, because in any given moment he can turn you over to a reprobate mind, which means to turn you over to an abominable mind, to turn you over to psychosis. You see how people take for granted the fact that you can actually have rationale, logic and be sane. Sanity is a good thing, guys. Sanity is a good thing. There will be a time, based on the scriptures and everything, there will be a time where all this stuff that you guys watch in movies that you literally get some kind of perverted high from will be in right in front of you and you cannot just make it go away. And you will be so afraid. You won't be able to be alone for five seconds. You'll be an adult 50-year-old and you'll be clinging onto the leg of your mother saying, please don't leave me alone because the, the spirits and demons are tormenting me. They're everywhere. They won't leave me alone because you gave them access. Don't. There are so many more examples, but I can only cover so much in each episode, which is already, they're already very extensive, as you can see, and they're very time consuming for me in putting them together. And I don't have any more time than any of you. I do this as a service to God out of my own free will offering of praise and glory to God. I'm just as busy and I have a lot of work and I am also just as physically and mentally exhausted in bearing fruit. I want to bear fruit for the harvest, which is clearly ripening every day. I suggest you listen to all the other episodes I did, which are timeless, by the way, because I don't do things with trends and whatever. I put a lot of work into them and I effort into making them. It's not, this is not a channel about popularity or trending content. That's why you won't see me asking you, what would you like to hear? I don't get anything for this. I'm not paid for this. I'm not sponsored by anybody. I'm not seeking anyone's attention. I'm here to serve God. That is it. This is not a trending channel. I care not for any of those things. I just care about doing something good and fruitful with the knowledge and understanding I have received from studying the word and building my personal relationship with Yahweh. We see worship of royalty, quote, or kingship, and government, which is the modern form of royalty and kingship. We see this within scripture as well. In episode three, I covered when the free people asked for a king to rule over them instead of God. And we see this in the horrifying account leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus. When the Jews were asked by the Pilate, by Pilate, what to do with Jesus, as he found no fault in him. Pilate was like the one that was basically making the verdict. Should he have the death sent death penalty or not? And he's like, I have no find no fault in this man. He's not guilty of anything. So what do you guys want to do with him? He's your he's of the Jews, right? Because he was a he was Greek. And they were all coexisting. So you could see how weak their faith in God was because they were claiming to persecute Jesus, okay, the Jews at that time for blasphemy, which is to say that you are God at that time. But they themselves were worshipping religious doctrines of men and not the true living God. They also worshipped the state, the government, as we read in John 19 verse 12 uh, to 16. 
And from thenceforth, Pilate sought to release him, Jesus. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend, Caesar being the king, the governor. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaks against Caesar. Then, in verse 15, But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivers he them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. End quote. Did you hear that? It was the chief priests. That means the chief priests of the Jews, as in the people who were supposedly God's people. Okay. They said, We have no king but Caesar. Their king of kings, lord of lords, is supposed to be God, the one almighty living God, as it's supposed to be for any and anyone that chooses God. This is not just a just for Israel thing. And they said, we have no king but Caesar. Imagine, it did not come from some other person. It came from the chief priests. God's law teaches us justice and mercy and moral absolutes. The God of the Bible is the only Bible that claim is the only word, sorry, and the only God that claims moral absolutes. There is no other. That's what makes it so different from all the other so-called religions and gods. God is not a religion anyway, but I mean, like all the religions of the world, they all are based on some kind of belief in some kind of God or higher power or what have you. The only one, because it's the only one that is true, the God of the Bible, Yahweh, is the only one that teaches justice, mercy and moral absolutes. So if they at the time of this uh, situation and and having Jesus be crucified, if they were truly God's people, their behavior would not reflect this. No matter what kind of loyalty to a so-called king, which is a form of idolatry that they had, you have made a man a God in your eyes. This is what you do when you idolize government and the state. You are persecuting innocent people in terms of judgments for respect of persons. So that's what they did. Jesus was an innocent man. They found no fault in him. In fact, he was helping people and he was literally doing miracles and he proved over and over again he was the son of God. That's why many people actually believed. He proved it. However, of course, evidence does not always result in belief. I've told you that many a time. You are persecuting innocent people in terms of judgments for respect of persons, which God literally tells us very explicitly many a times not to do. He says, do not have respect for persons in judgment. In Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 19, thou shalt not rest judgment. Thou shalt not respect persons, neither take a gift, bribe, for a gift doth blind the eyes of the wise and pervert the words of the righteous, end quote. It's like many politicians today being, quote, above the law, which again just means you treat them like a god. This is so wrong on so many levels, but man-made law is anyway not a reflection of God's law, so this doesn't even surprise me. What surprises me and makes me disappointed is that people today still believe that voting and being part of a political system does any good for anyone. Nothing. 
would make the world a better place for everyone quicker than everyone learning and abiding to God's law, the commandments. But the problem is not legislation nor enforcement. The problem is the heart of man is wicked and people love their darkness. And I'll point out the savage behaviour of people, which again is still very real today, just in different ways, where in this case they were arguing about such petty things as what to write on the board above Jesus' head on the crucifix, rather than the heavier matter of killing an innocent man who has done no wrong and in fact healed and helped many, showing countless evidence to all that he is the one and only son of God, but those who want to refuse will do so regardless of evidence. So from verse 19 to 21, and Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief of priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but write that he said, I am the king of the Jews. End quote. Do you see how petty that is? He's saying like, we are talking about somebody's life ending. And they're literally talking about, don't say he's the king of the Jews. Say that he said he's the king of the Jews. This sounds like, Children bickering about the pettiest of things in a very mature and highly serious matter. Let it be a lesson to all listening. For there is much bickering, pettiness, jealousy and strife between people today. Even those that claim to believe in God and their focus is on defending their idols or their sins rather than getting right with God and helping one another on the path even if it means pulling people out of the fire and chopping off your hand that leads you to sin, as Jesus says. To everyone that has that phone glued to their hand, doing all kinds of abominations in it. Abstaining from your phone is not a difficult task, please. If the alternative is no hand. People are very weak these days. They are hardly, there's hardly any strong-willed and strong-minded folk out there anymore. But this is a product of societal programming, teaching everyone to be effeminate, pleasure-seeking, entitled, selfish, quote, good citizens of the social credit score world, where you'll get your automatic basing income loaded onto your digital hand, bank clock, bit like if you know that movie Time, where they literally are born with this clock on their hand and the clock counts down and you're paid with time and if you run out of time you you just die you get like a heart attack yeah a bit like that you have your digital hand clock each month and automatically you'll see the numbers deduct and reduce without your input at all you know deduct rent deduct food deduct climate tax deduct social tax deduct energy tax deduct your here's your food tokens of what's left and you have 20 days to use them until it expires yeah all fun and games when it sounds like, oh, how cool, we don't have to work. We can be on social media all day. We can be video game stars or NPC live dolls. Seriously, 
What I'm saying is not far-fetched. It's literally already here. These are things I've already seen. I've recently already seen people jumping at the opportunity to receive. Hear me. A little bit of digital cash. Literally, they're idle. A little bit of digital cash, which is their idol, by pretending on a live stream, okay, on social media, to be a robot type being, to pretend, so a human pretending they're a robot, cyborg, bouncing on the spot, saying random words. So they're a human pretending to be a cyborg robot that's pretending to be a human, okay? And of course, it's perverted, so that what they're doing is not like innocent, it's perverted and it caters to people's dark and twisted pleasures. There is a twisted, perverted element to it. They know what they're doing. These people are not stupid. That's why, why else would people watch it and throw money at the harlot behind the screen? Truly, no one has any shame in anything anymore. Anything goes. It's all tolerated. Evil prevails. This is why God's judgment is inevitable and determined. For the world received the light and they chose darkness. Now, individually, we can all choose something else. The world is due for judgment en masse. But individually, we are supposed to be choosing the right thing. We're supposed to be choosing God. We're supposed to be choosing our faith in Jesus. We can choose the truth. We can choose God. We can choose righteousness. But that is a personal choice through your own free will and an endeavor. It's not just a one-time thing, an endeavor of all. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 24, he says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust does corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust does corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. Here I will just say, when he's saying your eye is single, he means single focus. So if your eye is focused singly on Jesus, it's focused singly on obeying God's commandments, it's focused on righteousness, it's focused on the good, your whole body shall be full of light, meaning that you will actually manifest the works of God. Whereas, verse 23, if thy eye be evil... Thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. End quote. So, there's so much in, in that verse, I, I cannot go too much into it, but I will say this because it, this is also why it says in the Psalms, I shall put no wicked thing before my eye. I highly recommend you to make a covenant with your own eyes, like to make a commitment to God that you shall not, you shall not give your eyes unto unclean things. You shall not 
Use your eyes for darkness. You shall be single focused. You dedicate your eyes to God, meaning that you don't use your eyes to look at these perversions because you know how powerful the eye is. You know the moment that someone catches a glimpse of something, they start to stare. And then before you know it, they're involved in it and they will actually start doing it. It all starts with you seeing it including in your imagination, because imagination is imagery, it's pictures. It is very powerful. God knows these things. And when you commit to not put any evil thing before your eyes, I'm telling you, your entire way of being changes. You will not be able to perceive wickedness and those perversions anymore. All of that will be so disgusting to you. Like he says here, you will hate one and love the other. Like you cannot be loving God and serving God and at the same time have this desperate desire for money or attention or status or wealth or whatever it is right whatever you can't it is a very clear line the God of this world being Satan you and I'm saying God with little g like not you know you just call him the ruler the master of this world uses money clearly, to persuade people to do all sorts of evil. If you make money your idol, you will quickly go down that broad and destructive path. You cannot serve God and money. God does not share that number one spot in your heart with anyone or anything. As we read in Isaiah 45, it is a vanity to trust in false idols. And it is paramount in realising that one must come to understanding Yahweh is the only true living God and Jesus is his only begotten son, which is the only way to God and the only mediator. That's for those who like to idolize saints and pray to them and make them idols. Okay, God doesn't give us an image to worship. He has never asked us to bow down to an image to him. If you've read scripture, you would know that. But of course, there are many who don't read scripture and instead they just trust and put all their faith into their idol of their guru, their master, their leader, whoever is their spiritual or religious leader. Exodus 20 verse 23. Ye shall not make with me gods of silver, neither shall ye make unto you gods of gold. End quote. Do you see how he's saying two things there? He's saying, don't make with me gods of silver nor make unto you gods of gold. So he's saying both don't make an image of me with gold and silver and wood or whatever, but also don't make other gods unto yourself, like your own gods with your own hands out of those things. Because I made everything. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, and I am not giving you an image to worship. He is worshipped in spirit and in truth. That's how God is worshipped. He treats you as a responsible being with moral agency. He has moral standards of excellence for us. And he expects us, as made by him, unto good works, to live by them. It is a personal relationship. You don't bow down to a sculpture nor a painting. He gives you the word, his scriptures, to learn with your sober mind, your rationale, God-given, and connect with your heart your conscience, which does the work of convicting you when you allow the Holy Spirit to teach you. You see, it all works together. On the contrary, however, all false idols require worship of some kind of image, including yourself. 
Social media is bowing down to the altar of self. Your worshippers are the gifts, the likes, the comments, the flattery, the attention. That's why people don't seem to understand. Even when I clearly only put out, and only have, ever, put out educational things on my channels. And nothing in relation to me personally, myself, my life, that I put out such work for a purpose to educate only. Okay, I'm a private person. I have no interest in using social media for the crap that people use it for. I only use it to spread educational information, not to receive any personal attention. I don't want that, nor commentary. Some of us are not looking for your personal opinions on us as people from complete strangers and for all we know, AI bots. Stop. I don't invite and people still do it because the internet is full of strange people who think because they watch you online, they are somehow entitled access to you. No, you are not. Respect people's privacy and respect their efforts in their work. If I haven't made it clear, I will do so now again, that my work is my property and is not permitted to be copied, falsified, edited, replicated, nor posted as your own work on your own channels, which unfortunately I have seen people do. This material is copyright and it is mine. Respect that. Anyone that has been copying and sharing my work without my permission or putting it out as if it's their own, you are to take it down immediately. If you have found value in what I put out, then do the right thing by respectfully simply sharing the reference link directly back to my website and my platforms. It's called common courtesy and decency. One of the prominent cases of idolatry we see in scripture is the golden calf in Exodus. Let us hear what happened and how God responded. Again, clearly showing us idolatry is spiritual adultery and it is an abomination. Exodus chapter 32, verse 1 to 8. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Make us gods, which shall go before us. For as this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off your golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons and your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people broke off the gold of the earrings, which were in the ears, and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand, and fashioned it with a graving tool, after he had made a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow, that being the false Lord, and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play, which means to fornicate. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down, for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I have commanded them. They have made a molten calf, and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed thereunto, and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt. End quote. I mean, amazing. Like, and do you not see, like, it's in, they're doing it 
with all the evidence and the, the fact that they knew God is real and he's the only God, they still did it. That's what I want you to understand. For the people that think that like, you know, atheists or agnostics or new age people, like it's just the evidence that they need. No, they don't. Or you yourself, perhaps one of them. It's not the evidence you need. There is plenty of evidence. If you were actually a rational thinking human being, the Bible is has so much evidence of God that you would believe the Bible before any other ridiculous invention such as scientism and evolution, theory of evolution and so on and so forth, or Darwinian theory and all those things. But it's because it's not about that. It's about you holding on to wickedness and wanting to be evil. It's because you don't like the God of the Bible. That's why. Ultimate idolatry is spiritual adultery, basically meaning cheating on God. It's betrayal. Israel betrayed God in the clear evidence of his presence and in the fulfillment of his promise to redeem them. He'd done all of that. He brought them out of the land of Egypt. He kept them alive. He brought them to a prosperous land. He showed all these signs and miracles. He was with them. He spoke with them, all these things, which once they were a little comfortable and the righteous man Moses wasn't around, you know, to watch them as if they weren't adults, but little children. They willfully chose to make a fake God and assign the glory to it that was clearly a lie is baffling to read it. Yet again, I'm reminded that this happens still today in so many areas of life. Whether you worship another person, a product, a brand, money, fame, social status, entertainment, or yourself, which is Satanism, God warns against all such abominations by explaining what he hates. This mentality today of do what thou wilt, self-exaltation at all costs, and apathy towards God and towards evil, and God despises this as well, people's apathy towards the evil in the world, the desire towards self-indulgences at the exploitation and expense of all. Now, an excuse that often is used that it's not about the practice one is engaging in, but the meaning we put into it, that's, that's an often excuse. Oh, it's not the thing itself, it's the meaning I put behind it. It's the reason why I'm doing it. So some will say this about things like uh, hol um, holidays, like Christmas, Easter, Halloween, for example, and say, well, just because they're traditionally rooted in idol worship doesn't mean that's why I take part in it. I can celebrate Jesus on those festivities. But that's not true. It's not about what it means to us, but what it means to God. If it's evil in God's sight, then it is. It doesn't matter what excuse you bring to court. It's like standing in front of a judge and saying, hey, I killed those three people, but I did it because they were bums on the street anyway. They were useless. The justification doesn't deter from the crime, no matter how big or small. If you have the knowledge of what you are doing is evil in God's sight and still choose to do it, that has consequences. As it is written in 2 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 20 to 22. For if after you've escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ and are again entangled therein, as in entangled back into worldly things and overcome, meaning that you go back into the world, you fall away, the latter end is worse with you than the beginning. For it had been better 
for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they'd known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog turns back to its own vomit and the pig that was washed to her wallowing in the mire, end quote. Very clear. With knowledge comes responsibility of making correct moral choices and walking as Jesus walked. Being a true disciple of God. That's why many left him and walked away when they realised that they had to, what they had to give up to follow him. Matthew chapter 19 verse 16 to 26. And behold, one came unto Jesus saying, Good master, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why course me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He said unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt not do murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honour thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt not love, and thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. The young man said unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth. What lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell all that you have, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. But when his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. End quote. Now, I want to specifically say something on this example because a lot of people, again, misinterpret and twist scripture. This man specifically had an idol and that was his money. And so as he was asking and trying to get around like all these questions of which commandments are basically most important, like why is he asking which commandments? It's not like one's more important than the other. So, so Jesus started to list the commandments, but he specifically didn't yet list the very one that he needed to address. That's why the young man said to him like, Oh, what am I lacking though? Because I do all of that. And then he specifically tells him the very one that he is transgressing against God, which is that, first of all, he hadn't yet listed, love God with all your heart, mind and soul and uh, love your neighbor as yourself, right? So those two are embodied in the fact that he idolized his possessions and his riches and he wasn't willing to let them go. That was his idol. And that's why he was addressed in that. And that's why when he heard that, rather than hearing Jesus's words and, and understanding that that's what he needs to do, that's his idol, he went away, he left. He didn't want to give up his things, okay? So the last phrase that with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. This is a phrase I meditate on and I say in my prayers often to God and I do so because it is true and I know it from personal experience that that which is impossible for man, for humanity, 
is possible with God. For nothing, nothing is too difficult for God. And if you ask correctly and not for your own lusts, he shall be faithful to you. He shall faithfully be your rock, your refuge. And I'm not saying that to say that there's some kind of guarantee, but that when you understand God doesn't lie, God doesn't change, his word is the truth, his promises stand, then your faithfulness to him increases and your desire to be perfect by his workmanship is your focus. Continuing in this chapter, we find in the next section, it has important insight also. Verses 27 um, onwards. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed you. What shall we have therefore? You see how he's like looking for reward. That's something I want you to bear in mind. And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, that's the second coming, Ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. That's the judgment that's in the book of Revelation. And every one that hath forsaken houses, or brothers, or sisters, or fathers, or mothers, or wife, or children, or land, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold, and shall inherit life everlasting. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And that quote can sometimes be like, what does he mean by that? But listen to the example he gives straight after. For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And when he went about in the third hour and saw others still standing idle in the marketplace and said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, I will give you as payment. And they went their way. And he went out again the sixth and the ninth hour, and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out, and found others standing idle, and said unto them, Why stand you here all the day idle? They said unto him, Because no man had hired us. He said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that ye shall receive. So when Eve was come, the Lord of the vineyard said unto his steward, Call the labourers, and give them all their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. And when they came that were hired, and about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more. And they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received it, they murmured, they complained against the goodman of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal to us, which have borne the burden in the heat of the day. But he answered to them and said, Friend, I do you no wrong. Did we not agree that you would work a day for a penny? Take that what is yours and go your way. I will give unto this last, even as I gave to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with what is mine? Is your eye evil because I am good? So the last shall be first and the first last, for many be called, 
but few chosen, end quote. There's actually really a lot in this one. Um, there's really so much in this uh, to go through, and I do want to touch a little bit on that. It was Matthew, right? Let me just get it to, into my physical book as well, because I have some notes here I want to say. This is a very important teaching. 19. So from my like interpretation and understanding, when I ask God for wisdom on this, this is how I read this whole section. So they start with them asking, right? His disciples are asking him, Peter saying, look, we gave up everything for you. So like, what are we going to have from that? And he's comparing with the first phrase where he says, he hires uh, the laborers, right, for a penny a day. So those first laborers he hires, the first, right, they work for what was expected, you see. It's a guarantee. So they go and work the day because he said to them, work for the day and you will receive a penny for the day. So they're going to do a penny's worth of that day's work, right? But then when he went out, like, later in the third hour and he saw others standing idle, and every time he went out, there was more and more people standing idle. This is people standing on watch, meaning that they didn't give up. They didn't go out into the world and be like, well, whatever, I'm not going to get any work. I'm just going to, I'm just going to like exploit instead, right? They are still there waiting and watching, hoping that they will get work. So much so, like when he says the last will be first, the last one he gets out was in the 11th hour. It's like basically half a day has passed. They're still standing, hoping and waiting on the work, on the salvation. And so they're not giving up. They're not giving into sin. They're not saying, well, forget this. Let me go and sin. Let me go and live a, a terrible life then because nobody wants to hire me, right? I'm trying to be good, but nobody sees the good, you see. It's a test. So when he says, call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first, I saw this as a test to the first, therefore, because they got to see the last receive their hire before them, right? And when they came, they were hired about the 11th hour, they received every man a penny. And then we see the reaction, okay, of those who were first hired, who expected something, now they expected even more, not seeing the gift, right? So when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more. Why? They agreed to the higher, right? So now all of a sudden they're expecting more than what was agreed. Why? Only because they saw with their eyes and became jealous that people that worked a few less hours than them got the same amount. But he doesn't know what was agreed. Like, with you see what I'm saying? They suppose that they should have received more and they likewise received the penny because that was what was agreed. That's what they were told. So why are you expecting more, right? If you want a guarantee, the guarantee is what you're going to get, the agreement. Not if you came with your hope and your faith, right? And when they received it, they complained against the good men of the house. You see, they became resentful and started comparing each other, saying that these last, they, they worked but one hour, and you made them equal to us, which have borne the burden of the heat of the day. But what they're not seeing is their faith and hope and their hard work in abstaining from evil 
in order to be available to do the good work. Do you understand? Um, I hope this is becoming clear because this is how I, I really like reflected on this one and this is how God explained it to me in, in Revelation. And that's when he answered them saying, friend, I don't do you any wrong. We agreed for a penny. Exactly, right? But they're contempting his goodness, do you see? So he's saying, is it not lawful for me to do what I will with my own? It's his hire, it's his land. And he says, is your eye evil because I'm good? So you see how somebody looks upon you with evil eyes because you do good? It's a test, do you see that? So that's why he says, at the time of judgment, this is how I view that. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. And many will be called and few chosen. Meaning don't expect there's this whole one save always saved. This whole like it's impossible for you to, to, to you know, not receive the blessings. and all that. No, nonsense, nonsense. And... He goes on further into other other chapters where he says that, you know, a servant is no greater than his Lord and the Lord no greater than his servant. Meaning that the way Jesus portrayed the image of God was that you are never to have respect of persons, meaning you do not treat you do not treat the cleaner different to, to treating the CEO. You do not behave differently towards people because you think you have some kind of authority over them, meaning therefore you can exploit them and so on and so forth. And when you think about the last days and the tribulation and so on and so forth, it, times will be so bad, worse than even now, but as if they're bad now as well, but like times will come so bad when it comes to the end times. It will be so detrimental on earth that anyone that chooses God at that point will have done so with so much hope and faith and literal martyrdom. Okay, it's literal martyrdom. That's why it says God has God is well pleased in the in the blood of his saints, meaning that you've literally you have denied your own life to choose God. It's. The standard is perfection at the end of the day. And so it's a it's an important lesson. I wanted to add that one in, in there because it needs to be shared as well. So understand that God's mercy and his blessings are not transactional, okay? It's not a lifetime guarantee warranty that you purchased once and assume you have a right to no matter how you live. God is a personal being. You either have a relationship with him or you deny him. You either are with him or you're against him. All of this counts and is part of your journey throughout life in how you choose to live and who you choose to serve. There is also a whole warning to humanity, but especially those who believe and choose God in the end times deceptions, that many will fall away and their hearts will grow cold, meaning towards God, even those that loved God very much due to trials and tribulations because again they have this false belief that they're never going to go through challenges or trials and tribulations that God's going to make everything hunky-dory for them so again we will be tested in our faithfulness and love towards God Revelation chapter 13 verse 11 to 17 and I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth and he had two horns like a lamb and he spoke like a dragon and he exercised all the power of the first beast before him and caused the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, 
whose deadly wound was healed. And he does great wonders, so that he makes fire to come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceived them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had the power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast, which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he had the power to give life unto the image of the beast. But the image of the beast should both speak, that the image of the beast should both speak, and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he caused all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark on their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. End quote. The only good use for an idol is to, if there was one, is to separate the sheep from the goats and to reveal the tares among the wheat. It reveals the true intent of men's hearts. Do they love and worship man or God? Listen to episode 11 and 8 for more on that. Deuteronomy chapter 16 verse 22 says, Neither shalt thou set thee up any image which the Lord God hates. End quote. Again, uh, just hearing people say God doesn't hate. You do not know your Bible. You must read scripture. You will gain discernment instantly in this sewage pit that is the world at the moment of deceptive teachers and gurus telling you lies just to tickle your ears okay they're lying to you know your scriptures don't have God say to you get away from me I don't know you you worker of iniquity now let us look at first Samuel chapter 5 to see how God responded to being placed next to a golden statue idol of Dagon, which is a, was a fish god of the Philistines. Now, that was at the time where the Israelites had something called the Ark of the Covenant, which they made for God to have his presence dwell within among them at that time. So that Ark was stolen by the Philistines and they put it into the temple of their statue of their god called Dagon. And by the way, all the so-called mythical gods you hear about from like ancient civilizations that are portrayed, especially in Europe, I must say, as mere myth, are actually showing critical parts of history and what happened in history. The level of idolatry people were involved in and so on. People didn't just like dream up these figures in their head and make statues for fun. Don't you even notice the, the level of architecture, the level of effort, the level of investment that it takes to build those things that obviously doesn't get built anymore because all we now have is just grey box buildings. Haven't you noticed that? They were very serious about their religions and much of history has been hidden from us so that we won't understand what's really going on. So let us hear the Dagon story. And the clear example that God does not share space with idols, neither on your nightstand nor in your hearts. This is after the Philistines won the ba- one of the battles against the Israelites and they stole the Ark of the Covenant of God, which housed God's presence among the people at that time. From verse 1 to verse 12. Then the Philistines took the Ark of the God, took the Ark of God, and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod, 
When the Philistines took the Ark of God, they brought it into the temple of Dagon and set it by Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod arose early in the morning, there was Dagon, fallen on its face to the earth before the Ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and set it back on its place again. And when they arose early the next morning, there was Dagon again, fallen on its face to the ground before the Ark of the Lord. The head of Dagon and both the palms of its hands were broken off on the threshold. Only Dagon's torso was left of it. Therefore, neither the priests of Dagon nor any of who come into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. But the hand of the Lord was heavy on the people of Ashdod, and he ravaged them and struck them with tumours, both Ashdod and its territory. And when men of Ashdod saw how it was, they said, The ark of God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is harsh towards us, and Dagon our God. Therefore they sent and gathered to themselves all the lords of the Philistines and said, What shall we do with this ark of the God of Israel? And they answered, Let the ark of God of Israel be carried away to Gath. So they carried the ark of God of Israel away. So it was, after they had carried it away, that the hand of the Lord was against the city with a very great destruction. And he struck the men of the city, both small and great, and tumours broke out on them. Therefore they sent the ark of God to Ekron. So it was, as the ark of God came to Ekron, that Ekron cried out, saying, They have brought the ark of the God of Israel to us to kill us and our people. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, Send away the ark of God of Israel and let it go back to its own place so that it does not kill us and our people. For there was a deadly destruction throughout all the city. The hand of God was very heavy there. And the men who did not die were stricken with tumours and the cry of the city went up to heaven. End quote. They actually received uh, various diseases, one of which was hemorrhoids. <laughs> and... Um, it's actually one thing I will say as a side note here, because I, I could go off on a tangent, but all diseases, the specificities of them, is plagues from God. That's also why there are very specific diseases, for example, in sexual immorality. I've said this before. There is no such thing as an STD in a sacred union of marriage between one man and one woman. It doesn't exist, ever. Okay? STDs... And these kinds of diseases only happen through fornication and sexual immorality. And they are only in relation to that specific transgression against God. You can at least consider that as interesting. And then there will be other different types of diseases that come from different types of transgressions and, um, and lawlessness that people do when breaking commandments. So as you see... They kept putting the Ark of the Covenant of the only true living God next to their fake God, Dagon, to which God was literally breaking it and putting it on the floor. Now, they didn't touch it. They revered and respected this, this statue, this idol, so nobody was going in and breaking it. It was God was doing it as an example to them. So they sent the Ark back to the Israelites, but they actually, after inquiring with their own diviners and priests, had to send a trespass offering back with it meaning that they actually had to send an offering like a uh like a to rep a repayment if you will okay being that they made figures out of gold literally of the diseases god plagued them with 
and they sent it with the ark. So they specifically made this. It was an offering, a trespass offering to God, the God of Israelites, because otherwise they would have continued to be plagued. And sent it with the ark as a trespass offering in order to make it right. Because they stole it. Okay, And again, you have to deal with God in a, in a high manner. You don't deal with him in a manner like he's a thing. So they had to return what they stole back times seven as it's written in the law. You see, God deals with people like a perfect judge. He is to be respected and revered so. Not treated like some object or thing that you either have use for or you don't. I hope you're seeing that clearly throughout all these lessons, an example of what God's character truly is and how Yah is a personal being and he very much has specific characteristics and personality traits, attributes, of which are clearly displayed throughout the scriptures and are a key indicator in how you build a relationship with him. In the scriptures of Jasher, which is quoted directly in 2 Samuel 1.18 and Joshua 10.13, we get another clear insight and look into the long-suffering of God, the fairness in his warnings and timings, and how humans still choose wickedness, to which God also shows there does come an end to his long-suffering, and justice and vengeance will be served. Let us read what happened during the critical time of the building of the ark by Noah and the behaviour of humanity towards God as they came to the realisation that there truly only is one God and he was not extending his mercy to them anymore after the sheep and goats or the wheat and the tares had been separated, everyone showing their true heart's intent. So this is in the book of Joshua, chapter 6, verses 11 to 23. And on that day, the Lord caused the whole earth to shake and the sun darkened and the fountains of the world raged and the whole earth was moved violently and the lightnings flashed and the thunder roared and all the fountains in the earth were broken up, such as were not known to the inhabitants before. And God did this mighty act in order to terrify the sons of men that there might be no more evil upon the earth. And still... The sons of men would not return from their evil ways. And they increased the anger of the Lord at that time and did not even direct their hearts to all this. And at the end of seven days, in the 600th year of the life of Noah, the waters of the flood were upon the earth and all the fountains of the deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were opened and the rain was upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And Noah and his household and all the living creatures that were with him came into the ark on account of the waters of the flood. And the Lord shut him in. And all the sons of men that were left upon the earth became exhausted through the evil on the account of the rain. For the waters were coming more violently upon the earth and the animals and the beasts were still surrounding the ark. And the sons of men assembled together about 700,000 men and women and they came unto Noah to the ark and they said, they called to Noah saying, open for us that we may come to the ark and wherefore shall we die? And Noah with a loud voice answered them from the ark saying, have you not all rebelled against the Lord and said that he does not exist? And therefore the Lord brought upon you this evil to destroy and cut you off from the face of the earth. Is not this the thing that I spoke to you 
120 years back and you would not listen to the voice of the Lord and now do you desire to live upon the earth? And they said to Noah, we are ready to return to the Lord. Open up for us that we may, not, that we may live and not die. And Noah answered them saying, behold, now that you see the trouble of your souls, you wish to return to the Lord. Why did you not return during the 120 years which the Lord granted you as the determined period? But now you come and tell me this account of the troubles of your souls. Now also the Lord will not listen to you, neither will he give ear to you on this day, so that you will not now succeed in your wishes. And again we see this as end quote. We see this in chapter 9 in Book of Joshua. We see even more insight in a similar time when building the Tower of Babel and all the evil that was in the hearts of the people when they were doing so. Remember, God knows all your thoughts. He knows when you are running to do mischief and to do evil. He knows. Thus, the way that he deals with consequences, the consequences of your actions, is timed perfectly by him and his divine judgment. He does not bestow judgment upon anyone or punishment upon anyone unjustly or without you knowing. Nobody can stand before God and say, I did not know. He gives warning and he gives much warning and time for repentance. I just showed you they had 120 years to repent and they didn't. Let us read how serious the endeavor to build the Tower of Babel was. And now it wasn't just any kind of tall building. The intent was a del as delusional as Satan's sin, the pride of self-idolatry. From verse 20. And King Nimrod reigned securely, and all the earth was under his control, and all the earth was of one tongue and words of union. And all the prings... Princes and all the princes of Nimrod, which is uh, soldiers, by the way, like princes uh, in this time meant like soldiers, lieutenants, um, heads of army and that sort of thing. And his great men took counsel together, Phut, Mitzrayim, Cush and Canaan with their families. And they said to each other, come, let us build ourselves a city and in it a strong tower and its top reaching heaven. And we will make ourselves famed so that we may reign upon the whole world in order that the evil of our enemies may cease from us, that we may reign mightily over them, that we may not become scattered over the earth on the account of their wars. And they all went before the king and they told the king these words. And the king agreed with them in this affair and he did so. And all the families assembled consisting of about 600,000 men. And they went to seek an extensive piece of ground to build the city and the tower. And they sought in the whole earth and they found none like one valley at the east of the land of Shinar. About two days walk and they journeyed there and dwelt there. And they began to make bricks and burn fires to build the city and the tower that they had imagined to complete. And the building of the tower was unto them a transgression and a sin. And they began to build it. And whilst they were building against the Lord God of heaven, they imagined in their hearts to war against him against God, and to ascend into heaven. And all these people and all their families divided themselves in three parts. The first said, 
we will ascend into heaven and fight against him. The second said, we will ascend to heaven and place our own gods there and serve them. And the third part said, we will ascend to heaven and smite him with bows and spears. And God knew all their works and their evil thoughts. And he saw the city and the tower which they were building. This whole verse left me God-smacked. I had goosebumps. And when they were building, they were built, they built themselves a great city and a very high and strong tower. And on the account of its height, the mortar and bricks did not reach the builders in their ascent to it until those who went up had completed a full year. And after that, they reached to the builders and gave them the mortar and the bricks. Thus, it was done daily. Let me just say there, did you hear that? This building was so high, it took from the bottom to where they were building the top ascent a whole year for the mortar and bricks to reach. That's how big this was. Okay, we're not just talking about some tower like you see today. And behold... These ascended and others descended the whole day. And if a brick should fall from their hands and broke, they would all weep over it. Like they would be so upset, like, oh, we lost a brick that took us a whole year to get this brick up here. But yet, if a man fell and died, none of them would look at him. Didn't matter, right? The life of man is not important. Building this tower and reaching the ascent to heaven and destroying God apparently is more important. And the Lord knew their thoughts. And it came to pass, when they were building, they cast the arrows towards heaven. And all the arrows fell upon them, filled with blood. And when they saw that, they said to each other, Ah, surely we have slain all of those that are in heaven. For this was from the Lord, in order for them to err, and in order to destroy them from off the face of the ground. So God was making the arrows return with blood on it so that they would be deceived, so that they would error, so that they would actually think in their minds that they can shoot arrows into heaven and they're actually killing like the angels and stars. What a delusion. And they built the tower and the city and they did this thing daily until many days and years were elapsed. And God said to the 70 angels who stood foremost before him, so those closest to him, to those who were near him saying, Come, let us descend and confuse their tongues, that one man should not understand the language of his neighbour. And so they did unto them. And from that day following, they forgot each man his neighbour's tongue. This is the introduction of all languages in the world. And they could not understand to speak in one tongue. And when the builder took from the hands of his neighbour lime or stone, which he did not order, The builder would cast it away and throw it on his neighbor and he would die. And they did so many days and they killed many of them in this manner. And the Lord smote the three divisions that were there and he punished them according to their works and designs. Those who said, we will ascend to heaven and serve our gods became like apes and elephants. And those who said, we will smite the heaven with arrows The Lord killed them, one man through the hand of his neighbor and the third division of those who said, we will ascend to heaven and fight against him. The Lord scattered them throughout the earth. And those who were left amongst them, 
When they knew and understood the evil which was coming upon them, they forsook the building and they also became scattered upon the face of the whole earth. So they stopped building it. And they ceased building the city and the tower. Therefore, he called that place Babel. For there the Lord confounded the language of the whole earth. Behold, it was at the east of the land of Shinar. So this is where they confused their language and this is where people scattered and this is where I would perceive that many of the different nations came about, like that people just randomly seem to have different languages. Like it doesn't make any sense to assume that humans crawled out of caves and we all learnt not only to speak with grammar and very intrinsic and specific types of languages, but to have very specific root languages. How can we have so many different root languages? There should only ultimately be one root language if we're all we're all one humanity. So the fact that we have the different languages, it makes all the sense in the world that this was coming from this event and the confusing of tongues so that people would not unite to do this evil. Just like, by the way, the uniting of the new order, okay, of the one world you know what, is doing the same thing. Their main message is always unity, but it is a false unity quoting peace when actually destruction is coming. Okay, and um, so when they left, and uh, he called it Babel, verse 38, and as the tower which the sons of men built, as to the tower, the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up one third of the tower, a fire also descended from heaven and burnt another third, and the other third is left to this day. And it is that part which was aloft, and its circumference is three days' walk. And many of the sons' men died in that tower, a people without number. End quote. So, did you hear that? A third of it was swallowed by the earth, a third of it was devoured by a fire, but a third of it was left. And just the third of it that was left, the circumference of it was three days' walk. Do you understand how large that is? And I don't know why what came to my mind when I heard that is that because there's no building anywhere close to the Tower of that. But even the pyramids are nowhere close to that large, okay? Unless the swallowing of it in the earth and the burning, okay? However, however, I do think the pyramids are kind of like a replica of that. But in respect specifically to the Tower of Babel, now I do not know. But for some reason, what first came to mind for me was the uh, um, largest mountain in the world. I thought of mountains, right? Because they built it with uh, brick and mortar. And it doesn't... Some, I, was, I was thinking of mountains that don't look natural and things like this. And, you know, we do have mountains that are five, 6,000 meters high, right? So could be one of the mountains that are the largest mountains in the world but it would literally only be showing one third of what it was and the circumference of it alone, just that third would be three days walk. That is massive. That is, I mean, wow, what an endeavour. And in fact, a lot of that makes a lot of sense to some of the stories you hear about the Egyptians and the slavery there and how people literally were slave labourers for their, like, their whole lives, right? Like for 50, 60, 70, 80 years building the tombs and the pyramids and that kind of thing. 
again, like none of that makes sense when you hear the modern, like the, the mainstream story of they're just tombs that house dead bodies. No, right? So a lot of that more makes sense when you understand what they were truly building in many cases. But anyway, uh, continuing. God is just. He does not accuse nor punish a person without a cause, nor without plea and warning. He, in various ways, has the information given to you, okay, passed on to you with good timing, with more than enough time, so that you are, number one, not ignorant of your trespass, but you're fully aware of what you've done wrong. And number two, you are aware and told of the consequences, what they are, and that you are responsible in either accepting or rejecting his word. No one can say they didn't know this or that and claim that God is being judging them unfairly. I do not know the details of your life nor your judgment. I do not claim to know that. I do not want to know that. Only God knows that. And it is he whom you need to focus on to not anger him with wickedness or transgression or iniquity, and rather to be a true disciple, wanting, like your true desire, heart's desire needs to be that you actually want to do that which he made you for. The fruits of the Spirit, goodness, meekness, love for truth, sacrificial servitude, love and reverence for God, and so on. I recommend reading Ezekiel chapter 18 for clarity on God's righteousness and his righteous judgment and equitable judgment. He is fair. He is the one that invented the scales of justice. He weighs you in the balance. And as he says, you should not want to be found wanting. Revelation chapter 9 verse 20 and 21. And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither they repented not of their murders, nor their sorceries, nor their fornications, nor of their thefts. End quote. Everything that is a transgression against one of the commandments of God, of which you can read throughout the entire Old Testament, is a transgression against God. It is lawlessness, it is iniquity, it is wickedness. It requires your repentance. You understanding it is wrong, acknowledging it and removing it from your life, turning away from it, stopping doing it and serving God instead reaping fruits of the spirit, living a spiritually led life by him and not a carnally led life by the devil. Repent and turn to God. This is the whole duty of man. Fear God and keep his commandments. As it is written in Revelation 14, you need both a strong faith in Jesus and to keep the commandments of God. This is the patience of the saints. Why do you think it's called the patience? In trials and times of tribulation and testing, in times where it is difficult, will you be faithful or will you cave? Will you trust in God or will you give in to the beast? 
Revelation chapter 19, verse 10. And I fell at his feet to worship him. This is one of the um, saints was giving a message to, to John, the revelation. He fell at his feet to worship him. And the saint said to me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. That's a saint. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. End quote. An angel or a saint will never tell you to worship them or anything else other than the tr one true living God. That's a true angel of God, I mean. A fallen angel, a demon, for sure, is quite happy that you worship them. That is what the New Age is all about and all uh, Eastern mystical religions. Self-proclaimed gurus and masters will want all the glory and proclaim to serve the Lord God. Know the difference. Pray to God for spiritual discernment in these matters. It is a matter of life and death. Here is the point. Anything you prioritize above God, that you love or worship above him, is an idol. That means everything has the potential to be an idol that you prioritize above God. That includes your own family, for example. Things that you would class as good. He has that number one spot in the heart and it cannot be shared with anything or anyone else. As soon as you compromise that, he knows. Don't fool yourself. Stay true to God and seek him daily. In this spiritual war, and yes, it's ramping up every day, don't think you can go a day, not even one day, without being cleansed by his word or being strengthened by faithful prayer. You need to be in prayer and in his word every day, as well as in the walk, following Jesus as he walked. No matter how good an idol may seem, as in this example, even the elect, the saints and God's mighty angels will never tell you to worship them. They always say, fear and worship the one true living God. Remember that Jesus, the only mediator between us and God, is the perfectly express, expressed image of the Father's personhood. Not of like what he looks like, his personality. Remember, God does not give you an image to worship. He shows you who he is and he gives you his commandments. He gives you his image, his personality that you may follow in what you are made to be. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. Jesus, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. End quote. There is nothing and no higher power than God himself. Jesus is the only way to the Father. Anything else you seek outside of Jesus to reach God is futile. So that is also my message to you. God is to be respected and loved above all in your life. If he isn't, then idolatry is likely lurking its head. Idolatry leads to wickedness. There is no grey area. God's directions are based in absolute truths. If you're serious about your walk with God, it is not complicated. 
as I do my best to clarify in my very to-the-point practical lessons. It is about whether or not you personally are willing to put as much effort in as you would put and expect from a loving, committed relationship or lack thereof. Either it will grow and flourish or it will wither and die. So it is with watering your connection and relationship in God through treating him like the most important person in your life. You seek his guidance, you come to him with all your heart, you commune with him and you praise him for all that you do and don't have. You seek to know him more, you set aside time to be with him and in his word daily. This is all part of denying the love of the worldly life and instead loving him. For in this, your life is saved. May this be a blessing and a help to those who have ears to hear. Till next time, God willing, be good, be true, and all glory be to Yah forever and ever.